Last time we saw Paul address the issue of sexual immorality among one of the members in the church of Corinth, and while doing so, he brought up the uh, unpopular, at least uncommon, practice of church discipline today. And here in our passage today, he's going to address the issue of fellow believers taking one another to court, uh, suing one another, seeking to defraud one another for economic gain and, as I hope we'll see in the context of Corinth, advancement in social standing. And so he's going to be dealing with that. Now, before we read it, I think it's important that we, we add one important preliminary qualifier here so that we can understand and faithfully apply what it is that Paul is actually teaching. Okay, so the preliminary that I want to mention actually has to do with what Paul is not teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, I want to say this emphatically, Paul is not teaching that matters of criminal law ought to be kept quiet and dealt with internally by the church. Say that again because I think it's very important because a lot of people misunderstand 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and misapply it to the hurt and damage of many dear believers. Uh, The Apostle Paul is not teaching that matters of criminal law are to be kept quiet and dealt with internally within the church. It's not what Paul is teaching. He's not suggesting that, you know, issues like embezzlement or abuse or matters of that nature should be kept out of civil courts. In fact, Paul himself, as an example to us, was ready to invoke his civil legal rights as a Roman citizen and appealed himself to courts of justice for recourse. It's Paul as well who teaches us in Romans 13 that the civil Authorities, civil magistrates are God's servants for our good. Okay, so Paul is not saying here that we ought not to appeal to the law of the land at times when it's necessary. There are some circumstances in which believers to seek justice or to defend themselves or others can rely upon the law of the land. But that was not what was happening in Corinth. At Corinth, church members were disputing trivial matters, that's what Paul calls them, trivial matters, and forgetting their obligations to be forbearing toward one another, to be patient with one another, to love one another. And instead, they were using the court system to try to get what they wanted, to make economic gain, to make advancements in society to gain an advantage even at the expense of one of their brothers in Christ. And as you can imagine then, this was wreaking all sorts of havoc in the life of the church of Corinth. And so we just need to keep this in mind as we approach this text though. Paul is not despising the proper use of civil law when necessary, but he is challenging the kind of misuse of it for selfish and malicious ends that were so very common in the culture of Corinth. So let's keep that in mind as we approach this. And and let's just remember that up to this point, Paul has been dealing with problems as they have been presented to him uh, in the church of Corinth. So we've seen him deal with the issues of 
division and strife and pride in chapters 1 through 4. We saw in chapter 5 the issue of sexual immorality and the failure of the church to address that issue, the need for church discipline. And now here in chapter 6, he's dealing with believers taking one another to court. But case by case, you see, Paul is doing the very same thing. He's showing us and teaching us that whatever issue we may face, the answer and the antidote is the same. What does Paul do? He applies the good news of Jesus Christ crucified to lives and hearts. And he's saying, if you really get this, if you come to terms with what this means for you individually and you as a body and what it means in terms of how you are called to live, then everything will begin to change. It's not that things are going to, like that, change overnight. It's not that struggles with personal besetting sins are just going to vanish like that. It's not that there's not going to continue to be trouble within the household of believers. But if we come to terms with the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and raised, everything will begin to change. And so chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, it really is just another case study among several in this letter, showing us that the good news of Christ really does make a profound difference in the gritty realities of our messed up world. So let's turn our attention to the reading of God's word, picking it up in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Well, as we have seen, the Corinthian church is a mess. And I think if we were to identify the, the root of the problem, the best description of the diagnosis that I've seen 
while uh, reading commentaries is that the Corinthians were experiencing what one person has called gospel amnesia. Just like somebody experiencing a severe form of amnesia who has forgotten who they are, their identity, that the Corinthian Christians have begun to forget who they are in Christ Jesus and what that means for their lives. And we'll see this time and time again as Paul addresses them throughout the letter. But especially in this passage, you see him asking this question, do you not know, verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3, do you not know that the saints will judge the angels? In verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? These are things they ought to have known. They had been taught. They had been taught by the apostle Paul, by Apollos, by Peter. They had been taught well in the things of God and the gospel of God, but they seem to have forgotten. They are suffering from a case of gospel amnesia, and it's having real-life tragic consequences. And in this particular case, in 1 Corinthians 6, believers are suing one another in civil court. They are seeking to defraud one another, to make dishonest gain. It's behavior reminiscent, really, of old life, the old life of these believers before they became Christians, rather than the new life that ought to mark them out as those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul asks them in verse 1, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now that last word, that Paul uses describes who they really are now in Christ Jesus. They are, they are saints, holy ones, set apart ones by the grace of God designated for Jesus Christ. And so they ought no longer to live as they once did according to the values and standards and ways of this world but now according to the values of the kingdom of God. You see, they were, they were struggling with, I think, something that you and I regularly struggle with in our Christian lives. They were struggling, now that they had become Christians, to throw off the old habits, the old patterns, the old values of their former previous lives. Just listen. Listen to how one commentator describes how law courts worked in the ancient world and particularly in Corinth during this time. He says, in deciding to sue, one first had to calculate the cost and chances of winning, not on the basis of the merits of the case, but on the defendant's social status and powerful connections. People in the ancient world contended for honor in the law courts. And one gained honor by beating down a rival. The pursuit of litigation very often had little to do with the pursuit of justice. That's how things worked in Corinth. But the Corinthian Christians failed to see that that is no longer how they were to live. They were no longer to seek personal advancement in society at the expense of others, but their trivial cases, as Paul calls them, reek of pride and 
lovelessness as they still operated in the same old way as they did before they became Christians. They were suffering from a case of severe gospel amnesia. They had forgotten that they are now together in Christ. And now that Jesus has rescued them, they are new creatures, no longer slaves to sin and and the self-seeking conduct of this present evil age. They have been made new, created new in Christ Jesus, and therefore are to live life, new life, in the context of the fellowship of God's new community, the church of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in this passage, is seeking to treat their amnesia by reminding them of their true gospel identity. And if we, like the Corinthians at times, fail to remember and live in light of who we now are in Christ Jesus, then here are three reminders that if, I think if we really take them in and they begin to shape our lives, will truly have a transforming effect. So here's just a quick outline. First, if you look at verses 1 through 3, Paul speaks about our future, where we are headed in Christ, our future glorious destiny. Second, in verses 4 through 8, Paul speaks about the present, calling us to face up to the fact that we often live in a way that is contrary to who we now are as Christians in Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, Paul points to our past in verses 9 through 11 and speaks about who we became by the grace of God when he made us to be Christians. And so I think if we grasp these, we'll begin to recover a true sense of who we are in Christ, and that will inform and shape how we live. So let's begin with verses 1 through 3, where we're reminded of our future. So Paul points us here to where we are going now that we are Christians. Now Paul, he he will argue here that Christians, the Christian community, ought to be able to mediate disputes and bring about reconciliation between believing brothers and sisters without the need to go to civil courts in in many matters. The church is, if you think about it, after all, a society unlike any other, dwelt by the Spirit, united to Christ Jesus, clinging to the Lord Jesus. And so he will ask in verse 5, Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? The church ought to be able to do that. But here in verses 1 through 3, he tells us why we ought to settle the issues when believers fall out and disagree. And the reason that he gives is fascinating. I I don't think it's one that we would think of just off the top of our heads. He points us to our future destiny. Take a look at verse 2. He says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more matters pertaining to this life? Now, this is not an isolated teaching in the Bible. 
these words echo the words of the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 19, 28, where Jesus told his disciples that they would sit with him on thrones and judge Israel in the new creation. They also echo, I I think perhaps Paul had these very words in mind from the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, where we read, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Old Testament, New Testament teaching is we will reign and judge right along with Jesus Christ. That is our exalted and future glorious destiny. But you see, Paul is setting all of that in contrast to the fact that the Corinthians can't even work out trivial matters among themselves. Paul is saying, surely even here and now, this side of eternity and matters pertaining to this life The church with a destiny like this should be able to work things out amongst believers. Remember where you are going, Paul is saying to them. Remember the high dignity and exalted role you will one day fulfill in the courtroom of heaven itself. You will be a judge. So how ought you to conduct yourself in the light of that future destiny? You you who will one day judge The world and the angels. Are you tearing one another down here? Are you preoccupied with trivial worldly disputes? Are you dividing over grievances when you are destined together to reign with Christ? You who one day will sit with Christ in the final tribunal. Do you resort to worldly strategies to advance your own status, your own opinions, your own well-being, even at the expense and to the wounding of those who will serve with you as brothers and sisters on that final day. You see the thrust of what Paul is saying. He's saying, remember your destiny and live in its light now. Don't get so caught up in the affairs of this world that you lose sight of the future that you share together. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, our future, where we're going together now that we are in Christ Jesus. So remember the future and then secondly, face up to the present, Paul's saying. Here he's talking about how we're, how, how we're living very often Despite the fact that we are Christians. Verses 4 through 8. Take a look at them now. The key words to understanding Paul's argument here. Or the key word is the word brother. So listen to it. So if you have such cases. Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So catch this. The Corinthian Christians are suffering from gospel amnesia. 
They've forgotten their identity, their new identity in Christ. And so they're failing to live in light of their future and they're failing to live as brothers in the Lord. The fact that they were brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that they are family ought to have made all the difference in the world. But instead, they were arguing their case before those who have no standing within the church, verse 4. And so Paul says in verse 5, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Surely the church has the basic competence and gifts it needs among the congregation locally, among the church elders, or perhaps we're Presbyterian, right? So through the presbytery or perhaps the highest court in our own denomination, the General Assembly, surely the church has the basic competence to settle basic and trivial disputes. Someone is wise enough, surely, Paul is saying. But instead, they were taking matters before the unrighteous, unbelievers, for a decision. And he says in verse 7, that is already a defeat for you. Rather suffer wrong than do that. Rather be defrauded than do that. So let's ask a question. Why is this a defeat for Christians to live this way? It is a defeat because the gospel says that to belong to Jesus is to become a brother or a sister to people with whom you might otherwise have nothing in common with. They don't get you, you don't get them. Your, Your story, your background, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, your family story might be completely foreign. But now you have become one with them in in Christ. Now you belong to the same family. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are bound together in the sacred bonds of gospel love by the work of Jesus Christ. And so now you must treat them as your own flesh. So you must be patient. You must be forbearing. You must cover over a multitude of sins in love. You must forgive. You must set your, uh, your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. And when you do that and, and the world watches as relationships come under pressure and there's you know, worldly reasons for them to fracture and break apart and turn sour and, and get really, really ugly... When the church instead pursues one another in love and seeks reconciliation, Paul is saying that is victory. That is gospel victory. When the world sees that you are Christ's disciples by the love that you have for one another. But sadly, that wasn't happening at Corinth, at least at this point. Instead of gospel victory, as relationships were strained and came under pressure, as our relationships at times will inevitably be, they fell back to the default mode of their old lives. And instead of gospel victory, there was what Paul calls shameful defeat. Instead of the world seeing what grace does... 
transforming a group of people together into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, who will serve even to the point of laying down their own rights and suffering wrong. Instead of that, they saw people hurling lawsuits around and dragging one another into public courts, shaming one another, and thereby bringing the gospel into disrepute. Instead of displaying unity and love, they displayed disunity and a lack of love for the world to see. And it was a tragic, shameful defeat. You see, when the world around us collapses into tribalism, into mutual suspicion, is given over to petty grievances, and those grievances harden over time into long-term bitter feuds and grudges, when the world acts like that, but the people of God pursue peace and reconciliation, seeking to live at peace with one another, not insisting on their own way, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven them. When the world sees that, that is a gospel victory. So let me ask you, let me ask us, what do people see when they look at us right now? What do outsiders see when they look at our relationship right now in the midst of a culture that is splintering and dividing over all sorts of things? Does it, does it, do people see gospel victory or does it see defeat as we fall back to the default, self-defensive, prideful, suspicious, grudge-holding, anger, and a bitterly contentious spirit? If so, what's Paul's message to us? What's the Lord Jesus' message to us? We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. A relative of mine uh, recently went on vacation with uh, another family. And uh, on the car ride, she, she told us later on, during the car ride, she listened, and witnessed, uh, listened to and witnessed bickering and screaming and yelling and all kinds of fighting. And at one point, she said, you wouldn't even believe what I saw and heard during that car ride. In other words, she was saying it was, it was shameful. It's shameful to even talk about. And Paul says, that's exactly what it is when brothers in the Lord fail to love one another. It's a shameful defeat. Christ died to bring us peace. Yes, first and foremost and foundationally and fundamentally peace with God. But it also entails peace with the brethren. His spirit lives inside of us. His word is our shared rule. And yet at times we still pursue our petty complaints and self-centered squabbles before the eyes of a watching world. And we have to confess what a shameful defeat. And so Paul calls us to remember our future, our future glorious destiny, the role we will fulfill as judges with Christ and to live in light of that coming reality. And then he calls us to face up to who we are right now, to see that 
These things ought not to be. And then finally, if we look at verses 9 through 11, he, he reminds us of our past, who we once were and who we became when by God's grace he made us Christians. Now we'll come back to verses 9 through 11, Lord willing, next week to take a closer look at these vitally important verses. Um, but, but for today, just please notice how Paul reminds them of a basic truth that the Corinthians seem to have forgotten. He asks them, do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if you connect these verses, that's how Paul described the judges back in verse 1, isn't it? The judges, the unrighteous, before whom the Corinthians were bringing one another in their lawsuits. And here he says, well, let me show you the, the destiny of the unrighteous. He characterizes them in verses 9 through 10 by their besetting sin. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, unbelieving and unrepentant individuals are excluded from the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is saying. It's a sobering picture. But then he drops the bomb, doesn't he? And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. In other words, Corinthians, here's the issue which you have lost sight of. Which, if you would remember, would begin to change how you think and how you live and how you relate to one another. Here's the issue. You have forgotten that you are not now who you once were. Now that Jesus Christ has come into your life through the gospel, you are definitively changed. You are no longer defined by that old life of sin. And Paul listed an array of sins that define people, didn't he? He says, Though, now that you've come to, to know Jesus, or better yet, now that you've come to be known by Jesus, they no longer define who you are. Because in Christ Jesus, you have a new identity. It's not who you are anymore. You've been washed and cleansed and sanctified and counted righteous in the sight of God, clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That is who you really are now. In Christ. And so Paul is saying, therefore, it's, it's time, dear Corinthians, for you to start living that way. It, it, it's time for you to be who you really are. Not an identity, identity that you have to work to achieve, but an identity that you have already received by the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And it's a game changer. So it's time to start being who you really are. No, no, wonder, no wonder we struggle at times in our conflict with sin in our hearts when we continue to identify ourselves um, as those who we are no longer instead of those who we have now become 
in Christ Jesus. Remember your true identity. You've come to Christ, and so the old has gone, uh, the new has come, and you are a new creation. Of course, that doesn't mean, as I said earlier, that struggles with besetting sin won't still occur and be a a challenge for the rest of our Christian lives until Jesus returns or calls us home. But Paul is getting at the issue of how does one think of oneself in light of the gospel. And he's saying you no longer identify yourself by your besetting sins because your identity is now found in Christ Jesus. And when you grasp that, the wonder and joy of it will begin to animate you, and I think in in this particular context, give us resolve to live with a new set of priorities and concerns. And when it comes to tensions and conflicts within the church of Jesus Christ, you'll begin to press in when relationships begin to fracture. Instead of drawing back, you'll pursue reconciliation when everything inside of you tells you to to retreat back to the, the world's ways and hide behind the barricades and lob the grenades over the wall seeking to harm and destroy one another. When you understand who you really are in Christ, you become a servant. You become a peacemaker. Someone who is even prepared, Paul says, to, to suffer wrong for the sake of the gospel and the peace of the brethren. And so, dear brothers and and sisters, this is my challenge to us today. Let's not not live in defeat like the Corinthians were doing at this time. Let's, Let's pursue this way of life that Paul sets before us here so that as others look on to see how Christians relate under pressure, under fire, as we live in fellowship together, let them see us in our difficult relationships A people who don't back off or withdraw or give up or become hostile. But instead a people who pursue one another in love because they know we are a family and we are one in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, would be a gospel victory in our community. That would be a demonstration of the power of the gospel. And that's what God is calling us to here. So let's remember, let's remember our future, where we're going together now that we are Christians in Christ. One day we will judge the world and judge the angels, Paul says. Here we are in training and we ought to live in light of our future destiny. And we're to face up to the present to see those areas where we so often live far, far beneath our new identity in Christ. So far beneath our standing. So far below the life to which we are called. And this is a passage that I think is meant to call us to repentance. And then thirdly, we are to remember our past. What God has done in Christ at the cross. And what God has done in the past within our own hearts through Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. And as we grasp it. As we come to terms with it, as we work it out into the nitty-gritty details of our lives and all of our relationships, we are to live in this light. We are not who we once were. Because now we are united to Jesus Christ. We have been washed clean. We have been sanctified. 
We have been counted righteous before God by the spirit of our God. So it's the message that I told you. We'll see again and again in 1 Corinthians at the very start of this series. Dear brothers and sisters, be who you really are. And may the Lord give us the grace to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that times we have been given over to gospel amnesia. And at times we have lived as those who have forgotten who we really and truly deep down are the most fundamental level in Christ Jesus. We've resorted to the ways of of the old life, the ways of this world. And as we see afresh our new identity in Jesus Christ, would you strengthen us according to your grace to be the people you have made us to be and the people you call us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this for his sake and for his glory. Amen.